February 6th, 2014, and this is the Hermetic Hour with host Polk Runyon. And tonight we present a discussion on the 21st path of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life, leading from Netzach up to Heset. Now this is the path attributed to Jupiter, and the Hebrew letter Kaf, which represents the hand, and the tarot trump, the wheel of fortune. Now the sphere of Hesed is also attributed to the planet Jupiter, making this a very powerful positive combination. And we have uh, a unique interpretation of the wheel of fortune, which also appears in our Crater Repoa initiatory system. Hesed, Jupiter, is appropriately ruled by the Phoenician father god, El, spelled Alephamed, and uh, we place the Phoenician god Dagon in residence there. Hesed also relates to Atlantis as the ruling realm of the mythical world. So, if you want to go back in time with us and meet an amphibious ancient astronaut, tune in and make the journey with us. Now, um, before we get uh, started here, I want to make a couple of announcements of things coming up. Uh, On February 15th at 7 p.m. in Austin, Texas, our own Frater Heracles will be presenting a lecture in cooperation with Austin's S. OMA, Society of Magical Artists. This is an evening with John Sheffield, master of the Ordo Templi Astartes Austin Hermitage, discussing the OTA's Solomonic Magic. And if you are in Austin, Texas, in that area, and you'd like to attend this opportunity to learn about the OTA and its growing uh, new launch in Austin, please contact... SOMA, S-O-M-A, at their website. Now, this is www.austinsoma.com or email them at info at austinsoma.com for location and details. And also, SOMA has a Facebook page at www.facebook.com stroke groups stroke Austin SOMA. Now, this is not something that you want to miss if you're in that area, and you also want to check out the uh, resources on the Internet. I'll go over those again so you're sure you got them. The website for SOMA is www.austinsoma.com. The email for them is info at austinsoma.com. And the Facebook page for for them is www.com stroke groups stroke Austin Soma. Now, along with that, next week, uh, here on the Hermetic Hour, we are going to have uh, the uh, people from Soma in Austin calling in, and we're and they're going to talk about what they're doing and and uh, what the occult community in the Austin area is up to. And so next week's uh, show will uh, will will uh, be having Selma on board with us. So let's be sure we support our our local Austin people. You know, they got a sign outside of Austin. Keep Austin weird. I guess Austin is the the place uh, the place in, in Texas where you where you can get uh, you can get kind of kind of weird. Um, <laughs> Wait, we've been we've been down there, and, and I'll tell you, they, they, yeah, they're down there all right. They, 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 we went to the Spider House. Oh boy, that was that was cool, man. I tell you, it, in, uh, it maybe it, it almost felt like going back 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 to the 1970s again. Uh, anyway, um, so that's what's going on in Austin, and and uh, Frater Hercules is doing a great job down there. Now tonight. Tonight we're doing the 21st path. 
And this is quite special for us. And I'm going to go over the um, I'm going to go over the um, correspondences. I use John Greer's um, Paths of Wisdom book here, uh, so we could go over the correspondences of the path just to get the technical details out of the way here. Oh, the letter for the path is Kaf, and it represents the hand. The name of God is Aleflamed, L. That just means God, and of course that represents that, you know, he was he was God a long time before the Akbe came along, and still is God, and, and uh, um, he was probably the God. He was he was the God of the of the ten so-called lost tribes of Israel. Actually, they were never lost. <laughs> they just they just uh, stayed there when when the 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 um, uh, worshippers were hauled off to Babylon, and and that was only three two tribes and and, and a few Levites. Uh, and but El, El is the is the, uh, the the original the original God. And, you know, um, he's still a pretty nice guy, actually. He was always called El the Compassionate. Um, well, he, you know, the only only thing he ever did wrong, I mean, or, or, or be criticized for, was uh, going down one time down to, on Earth and finding a couple of young uh, ladies skinny dipping uh, on the beach, and, and uh, he cooked them a chicken, and... Uh, had his way with them, but that's not the only thing he ever did that was that was that was reprehensible. I'm not even sure that was reprehensible. I think, you know, I think that's pretty good actually. And uh, he was, uh, but he he shared equal uh, equal duties and, and powers with Lady Asher out of the sea. And, uh, and certainly, you know, that was better than Yahweh, who was a bachelor and you know, Kind of a curmudgeon, you know, jealous, whatever. Anyway, uh, so El is the 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 god of the path, and uh, also uh, happens to be the god of the sphere. And the sphere, as I said, the sphere represents Jupiter, which is the largest planet in the solar system. And don't ever let anybody tell you that the Kabbalah is not astrological and planetary, because it is. And if you don't think so, just invest in 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 Rambert's twenty three volume set of the Zohar, and you will find out that there's a lot of astrology and a lot of planetary symbolism in the spheres and the Kabbalah. And Jupiter is certainly the right the right planetary reference for his set, which is the first of the of the spheres uh, below the abyss. It's the first. A sphere that manifests in the physical universe, because uh, above that, Saturn is where the physical universe gets started, you know, and that's uh, and that's uh, well, we we put Da'at there, but in the in the eleventh sphere tree, but in the in the tenth sphere tree, it's it's Saturn, but it's across it's across the abyss. So with that, the path we have twenty first path, the is also related to Jupiter. And you know, a lot of these paths are not really related to the same uh, planets that the spheres are related to. But in this case, the path and the sphere are both related to Jupiter. Now, um, the Terra Correspondence is is Trump 10, the Wheel of Fortune. Now, most people think of the Wheel of Fortune uh, as just that, you know, spin the wheel and, 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 and hope that, uh, you know, and hope that uh, when it stops, it uh, you got the number that you're on the number, but um, I remember Jack Benny, the old Jack Benny shows you how old I am. The old Jack Benny radio program we had, they would um, go over to Las Vegas and they had this wheel, this roulette wheel, and they'd spin it, and, and he'd hear it going around, 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 around. Then somebody would, would put the brakes on, you know, <laughs> and stop. And, but that's that's um a rather mundane interpretation of the Wheel of Fortune. The Wheel of Fortune, uh, at least in our philosophy, the Wheel of Fortune has a great deal more significance. And, and the significance is, uh, I think, rather profound. And we're going to get into that when we when we uh, get into the path we're here. Now, the path text, the 21st path is called the intelligence of conciliation. 
And it's so-called because it receives the, the divine influence which flows into it from its benediction upon all and each existence. That's kind of formal. Now, the mythological principle is aspiration. And the experiences of the path, and this is according to what John has here, flight or views from a high place, journeys among or up the mountains, brilliant light, often rainbow-colored, emotional exhilaration. The entities on the path, pilgrims, journeying, eagles, and other winged. That's very accurate. Now, magical images. An arch of clear violence bearing the letter Kof in brilliant white on its keystone. The door in the arch bears the image of the trump. And that, of course, is the Wheel of Fortune. Now, colors in that salute, violet, timbria, blue, and that's what it is in the minute of blue. In the azura, rich purple, in Ashia, bright blue, red with yellow. Now, that gives us, and you know, this is this path, uh, if you're visualizing the tree of life, or if you happen to have one in front of you now, um, more if, you, if you're familiar enough with it to be able to close your eyes and see it, or keep your eyes open and look up and see it. Uh, here's net sock down here, nice green net sock, sphere number seven, attributed to Venus, sphere of nature, and uh, the sphere. Of, we have a call. You're on the Hermetic Hour. Who am I speaking with? Hey, uh, Poke, it's uh, Frater Solomon. Wow, welcome back, Frater Solomon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I understand uh, Saturday night we're gonna we're gonna do one of your one of your fabulous Merkaba chariot ascension operations, right? Well, I, I guess there's some people calling for that, so yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm figuring out exactly what would be the best one to do. Probably the uh, Angel of the First Palace would be a good place to start. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Now, um, let me go ahead and, uh, and get going on this, setting up this uh, this uh, path here, and uh, then when uh, when I get it, when I get this set up, we'll we'll uh, get back to you. Hang on, we'll, we'll get back to you for your comments. Uh, now, okay, uh, yeah, we're, we're so we're going basically with this path. We're going up the the pillar of mercy. You know, that's on the right side of the tree as you look at it. And the pillar of mercy, we're going straight on up, and uh, we're going from Netzach up to Hassan. And when uh, we're crossing the uh, in doing this, we're crossing the veil of the sanctuary, and and this is as I those of us of you who have been following our pathworking session. This is a boat working. Now, what I mean by that is we're going to take off. We're not going to have to to, to walk um, or or take the dolphin boat and and, and go. Uh, you know, across the ocean all the way up to, uh, uh, you know, up to the Isle of Natsak, the way we would do, we're going to fly over it. We're going to fly over the reef and over the sea and over the Isle of the Dark Mother and all of that. And we're going to get to, we're going to get to the Temple of Venus, which is Natsak. And of course, as you almost saw, as you folks remember, especially you, you associate members who have our, our pathworking DVD. And uh, if you're not, if you're an associate member and you don't have our pathworking DVD, well, you know, come on now. I'll ask you about the program. But anyway, uh, the Temple of Venus, as we envision it in Metsoc, is as the temple and it is a pool of living water and the goddess sits in it, the goddess of Starday, and she's visualized as 50 feet tall, and she's sitting in a pool of living water. She's translucent, and all of her chakras are, are visible. And, uh, and of course, she represents the whole physical universe. And, and uh, that path involves uh, your, your experience uh, in, her, in her 
Psychic Centers, which is uh, uh, a sort of an inside-outside uh, miniature and giant experience, uh, magical experience, because it represents the whole universe. Now, we're going to, of course, fly in Kusor's boat, uh, which spreads its wings, and we get on in the Temple of Malkuth, and we fly over uh, the the uh, uh, the seascape and the islands and all of that uh, of the the path of Kaf, and we go all over that, and then we land at the uh, at the uh, Isle of Venus. Well, we don't go through the whole business again. We just land there, and then we prepare to take off on the path on Path Twenty One. And what we're going to do then is we're going to take off and fly to a another island on the way to uh, up to Hassan. And I'm just going to uh, go ahead and uh, read this from from our path. Path working script. Now, by the way, this script is not. This is an advanced uh, path working, and it's not in your uh, your DVD. Uh, so you're getting uh, you're getting some material that's not uh, not uh, you know. This is this is uh, this is uh, secret stuff. Okay, so listen carefully. Uh, now, our wing boat circles down and lands on a barren island. We disembark and make our way to the top of the highest crag, and here we discover a very unusual feature. Looming before us, crowning the summit, rises a freestanding megalithic stone arch, and the two massive stone uprights are set very close together, too close for a human body to pass through, and we realize that this is some sort of ancient sighting device. And the letter cough is carved on the little stone far above our heads. Now, looking out at the endless sweep of the nighted horizon, we see the vast star-scattered vault of the heavens etched more clearly than we have ever beheld it before. And the constellations of the zodiac are clearly visible. And as we study them, we can even see the faint outlines of the mythological figures traced between the stars. And this is the great twelve-spoke wheel of death and rebirth, the mighty clock face of eternity. Pisces now lies just on the horizon as seen through the sighting slot in the megaliths. And suddenly there's a flash of light, a sunrise at vernal equinox, and the great wheel rolls backward, bringing Aries into the position it occupied over a thousand years earlier. Another flash, another sunrise, and the wheel rolls again, sliding back to bring Taurus into position as it was 3000 B.C. Another flash, and Gemini rolls back. Flash again, and Cancer. Now, I'm going to skip over here, because I don't... Like I said, this is this is this is um, kind of secret material here, so I don't want to give it all away. Uh, now we end up looking out at the sky twenty-one thousand years ago. Now we return to our boat and we climb aboard. Now twenty-one thousand years ago, there's significance to that. I'm not going to get into it right now. Uh, we return to our boat and we climb aboard, and the boat spreads its wings and flies out into the sunrise, and as the beautiful dawn spreads its light over the ocean below, we see a vast island continent on the horizon. And as we approach this landmass, we see the distant shimmer of a great city on the seacoast. The rising sun reflects off domes sheathed in ruddy metal and surmounted with dazzling crystals. The city is laid out in a series of concentric rings, which we see are actually water-filled canals, over which four great causeways form an equivalent cross, like the arms of a compass rose. Great towered bridges rise at the north, south, east, and west gates of the city. Now, but now I'm going to stop reading from the script because I don't want to give away <laughs> I don't want to give away this this material completely. 
but anyway, this is obviously a description of very ancient Atlantis. Now, uh, Atlantis, aside from um, being what some people would consider an evening aisle fantastical, uh, Atlantis is also a very, very important part of Western esoteric mythology and Western esoteric and the Western esoteric tradition. And that's that's not in the theosophical end of things either. That's 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 the Western esoteric tradition. And, and Plato wasn't the only one who wrote about it. Diodorus and and and. Uh, uh, and others also wrote about it. Uh, Proto Solomon, you want to talk about uh, some of the sources of Atlantis and all of that? Uh, that uh, let's, hear, so let's, let's hear some more evidence about this. Well, uh, one of the forgotten texts that really helps key in on Atlantis and gives a lot of its history is, um, you know, is Diodorus Siculus. Um, and he places Atlantis. Um, he doesn't really talk about the island of Atlantis too much, but he talks about, um, you, you know, we have the Atlas Mountains in pretty much where Morocco is. So that would have been kind of the, uh, I guess that would be the eastern part uh, of the Atlantean Empire when they had their island who knows where. I, yeah, you make a good argument for uh, the, the, the coastal area around the British Isles. And um, one thing that's really neat, if you take the... Uh, Babylonian history, you superimpose it with Sanctuniathon and Diodorus Siculus, you get kind of a clear picture. The um, original um, father of everybody is a, a guy named Zeus Hypsistos, according to Sanctuniathon. That's uh, his um, Greek name, but it's uh, his uh, uh, Phoenician name was El Elyon, which is our, our good old father El. So you have El, you've got Zeus, who's obviously the uh, Greek name of Jupiter. So um, our correspondence um, is really good for um, El Elyon, and then you have the uh, old Alalu. Uh, he, he's really a, a very, very old uh, Jupiter deity, and um, there's Sanctuniathon makes a, a younger Zeus. But uh, the interesting thing is um, El's uh, son, he has a son named uh, Atlas, who, um, of course, uh, he, he's got actually a grandson named Atlas and uh, a son named uh Uranus, who he also equates uh, sort of with Poseidon. So you have uh, the first Atlantean king is actually the son of the uh, first Phoenician king, uh, good old uh, compassionate El or, or Zeus Hypsistos, which is uh, kind of neat because it, it makes the whole Phoenician Empire a lot more uh, a lot more ancient. If uh, we take um, Philo at his word that Sanctuniathon was really an old source, and, and um, I, I believe there's a good evidence for it. Uh, just because, yeah, um, yeah, yeah you're right about there's... that. Sancho, ne Sancho Neathan has been upgraded considerably. Uh, there was, I found out something. Uh, one of the reasons why Sancho uh, Neathan was not uh, taken as seriously as he is now is because uh, back in about 1830, uh, somebody perpetrated a Phoenician uh, hoax. And and uh, supposedly uh, came up with a with a manuscript uh, that was supposedly written by or or directly copied from a manuscript that was written by he he claimed uh, Sancho Neathan and for a while that hoax was was accepted as as the real thing and when it was when it was uh, debunked uh, then. The real Sancho Neathan, which we don't really have. All we have is is uh, uh, is um, uh, a a summary by a later writer of Sancho Neathan. So so uh, that came into question. But now, with all of the research that's been done since World War II, especially the uh, Ugarit discoveries, all we we realize that Sancho Neathan was. Uh, was uh, probably uh, pretty close to the mark, uh, the summary that we have, and he probably uh, was uh, around about the time of King Solomon, uh, and, and, and uh, or uh, not 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 later, and uh, so. Uh, but the important thing about Atlantis here is, and in relation to the Sun, the Jupiter, 
and has said, and, and that that ruling position, that 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 imperial position in the tree of life, uh, is that Atlantis is is the holy city of the Western esoteric tradition uh, in the Hermetic sense. Um, now. In the Christian sense, you'd say the holy city, of course, is Jerusalem. You know, both the both the the the, the heavenly Jerusalem. That that's the holy city for the for the Christians. Uh, and and uh, the uh, you could say that some people would say that the holy city for uh, for the Hermetic tradition is uh, is uh, Heliopolis in Egypt. But uh, but in 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 modern Hermetic. Um, uh, mythology or modern Hermetic uh, 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 legend, we we consider Atlantis to be uh, the, the whole, be our mythological city, like Petalbunt and the Parseval and and uh, 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 Shambhala in the in the Buddhist tradition and and all. We consider Atlantis to be uh, to be that center. And, and and Atlantis, uh, you know, it it, it 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 as we said in in as Philo said in Beyond Lemuria, he said it perfectly replicates the the uh, the celestial sphere when seen from above. You know, when you're looking down on the celestial sphere, uh, the map of Atlantis perfectly replicates it. And the so what you have here is a, is a city that. That uh, has a tr- astrological symbolism, and it has uh, it, uh, it has mythological symbolism, and what we what we conceive because in our uh, Phoenician tradition uh, we place uh, although El is the the ruling god for appropriately applied to to Hesed, we place the Phoenician uh, and and Philistine. God Dagon, who is the father of Baal, by the way, and we place him in Hesed. Now we also conceive of Dagon, and and this is uh, this conception is you know some people don't go along with it, but we we go we conceive of Dagon as amphibious. We equate him with Awanus, uh, the, uh, the 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 fish man who was the great teacher of the Sumerians. Uh, we equate him with uh, with the sign of Capricorn, the fish goat. We equate him with Vish, with with Vishnu and his and his amphibious configuration, and and we also equate him with the the Dogon's uh, Omo, the, uh, the 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 beings from Sirius, and uh, who who came down at a very early time, and 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 also became, which is replicated in the Ioannis legend. And so Dagon is, in our tradition, is visualized as a very wise extraterrestrial amphibian who uh, we like to think of as being a resident uh, of Atlantis. And, and we, uh, we place him in a, um, in a temple, in the temple in the center of Atlantis, in, in, his, in, his, in his tank, and he's the last of his kind, and and he tells us when we we go there and do the path working, uh, and he also dwells, of course, in our in our psychic center, in our third eye said psychic center. We have him there, and he represents a cosmic perspective. He represents cosmic wisdom, and and he explains to us that he's the last of his kind, and that when he passes on. He will. He and his his brothers and sisters who came with him, they 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 have no place to go. Their planet's gone, and so they reincarnate. And when they reincarnate, and that was twenty one thousand years ago, and they reincarnate in us. And so we have we have these uh, uh, Dagons reincarnated in in us, and and that's and so we have him. Up there in our in our uh, psychic center, and so we uh, we uh, when we get to the path, we get to Atlantis, we get into the temple, we are able to uh, make our first contact uh, with with Dagon and 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 receive his his knowledge and his wisdom. Now that's 
that's uh, the way we do it. Now, also, too, as you know, I, and our concept of the Wheel of Fortune is, as I started to describe it, it's, 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 it's similar to the Buddhist Wheel of Life. It's the Zodiac. It's the eternal clock face, and, it, and, and we can use it uh, very much like H.G. Wells' time machine. We can uh, we can roll it backwards and roll it forwards, but but the main purpose in this case is to use it to get back to Atlantis. You more comment on that, uh, Fred Solomon? Well, well, I you know I I think it's neat because um, reincarnation is really it's how we reconnect with um, who we were. We also have the uh, Great Year, which uh, I think it lasts about a total of twenty five hundred uh, twenty five thousand years. And since Atlantis save a, uh, uh, sank a bit over uh, 10,000 years ago, that means um, this wheel, this great year, it started on Atlantis, and that might uh, that that would also bring in Melkart. That would mean uh, Melkart, with his uh, is sort of the initiator of it, was uh, the one who initiated this uh, wheel, perhaps on Atlantis. It, well, let's uh, yeah. I mean, let me just say this: Melkart, uh, Melkart, which is uh, the god of the city. Well, that's what it, what it means. It means the god of the city. Uh, and uh, the city, of course, was Tyre. And the Temple of Tyre, uh, Temple of Malkart in Tyre, uh, the whole city was conquered and, and, and 5,000 uh, Phoenicians were crucified because they wouldn't let Alexander the Great come into the temple. <laughs> and, and the reason was, because that was the big set. That was their their big secret that uh, the, the, the Phoenicians uh, and that was the connection that was their connection to Atlantis and their connection to this to this 22,000 year old Zodiac uh, you know like we say that we know that the Zodiac started about 4,000 some years ago Taurus with Aldebaran when, when Aldebaran is, is at Vernal Equinox and Taurus that's the beginning, that's called bullseye astrology, that's the beginning of, of the Zodiac. But actually, we're saying, and we believe, that it's really not the last age of Taurus. It was the age of Taurus all the way around before that. Not 4,250-some uh, years ago, it was, it was 22,000-something years ago. In order to fully understand this, you, 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 you ought to look at Hamlet's Mill by uh, uh, De Santayana and Bob Beckett and realize that the Zodiac, we think, is a great deal older than, than is otherwise thought. You want to comment on that a little bit? Well, yeah, we know it's Babylonian in origin, and, and we know uh, the interesting thing is when you read the story of Hercules, and, and, and the funny thing is, the older Greek legends they have two Hercules, not one Hercules, and uh, the Greeks had a tendency to take their gods and, and just kind of mesh them together. So Hercules was a, a combination of uh, Hersaphnes and, and the older uh, Hersaphnes, where uh, he was a ram-headed god. So basically, he's starting the zodiac at Aries, but you have Melkart, and uh, he's kind of like Mithras and slew the bull, and uh, that's an older deity, and um, he starts it in, in uh, Taurus, which uh, puts us back further. So we have um, we have these cycles, and and they go back further than um, than we think. And and the interesting thing is, it's uh, like Pope mentioned with Sankunayatha. There's uh, the more we study these things, the more we realize there's a, a whole ancient heritage. And and when you think that before the Ice Age, you have a, a planet they they've reconstructed it. There was a several miles more of land, and it only takes a couple miles to build a city. And if you're going to build a city, and you're not aware that, okay, the Ice Age is going to come and, you know, it's going to end and all the uh, shores are going to be flooded, that means there were probably hundreds of cities dotting the coasts of the whole Mediterranean where you had a good temperature. You, you probably had tons of cities on the seashore that are all gone now. And we haven't found them yet because we really haven't made the technology to dig up all this dirt and see what's underneath them because it's covered with so much water. But in time, you know, we found uh, Easter Island. We found that uh, we've gone down a little bit further and we realized, okay, there was something here um, before uh, b before the flooding made the uh, island smaller. So 
um, we would know just looking at it uh, that there's a really old culture here. We just haven't been able to discover it. And just because we haven't been able to discover it doesn't mean it wasn't there. We have the clues from uh, from Plato and Diodorus that there was indeed a, a very ancient culture along the whole Mediterranean that would have been centered. We do have enough genealogical or, or geological uh, archaeological evidence in um, the Levant, that's Phoenicia, and... Um, and um, well, I guess the truth, call it Canaan. Yeah, the truth is, uh, 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 Solomon. The the truth is, and I and I'll go on up. Well, I'll I'll wave my masters in cultural anthropology around a little bit here, uh, because uh, I don't want to. I, I want to make sure that people realize that we're not just we're not just talking New Age baloney here. The truth of the matter is this: that megalithic. Cyclopean was it Cyclopean or Cyclopean architecture? Yeah, Cyclopean, Cyclopean. Cyclopean? Yeah. I think it's Cyclopean because whoever heard of a Cyclops? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's more right. briefly yeah, accurate. Yeah, some 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 intellectual uh, corrected me one time and said, "Hey, it's not it's not Cyclopean, it's Cyclopean." And whereupon I said, "Well, yes, I." I, I didn't Homer write about a cyclops? <laughs> no, whatever, whatever. But anyway, Cy- Cyclopean architecture, that those huge, gigantic, rough stones, I mean, that are so big that, that, that you just can't conceive how anybody can even move them, uh, uh, that, those, those, that architecture actually goes older. It gets older and it gets more uh more uh prominent the further west you get and and as you go down toward uh toward the the coast in Spain and in France those chamber tombs get older and there's more of them and and the hypogeum on Malta is so old nobody nobody they they know it's at least uh, you know uh, uh, ten thousand years old and and probably older and and uh, the, so the, the the evidence the actual evidence for this very very uh, I would let's use the word advanced let's say let's say very powerful dynamic ancient civilization, the evidence for it gets older and more impressive as the further west you go. And I just read in this very, very excellent book by uh, by Sanford Holst called Secrets of the Phoenicians that he says the Phoenicians brought architects from Malta, Europeans, architects from Malta, to Egypt to build not pyramid, the step pyramid of Dozer. And he says that was built by European architects that were brought by the Phoenicians in their ocean going ships to Egypt from Malta. Now, if that isn't proof that there was an Atlantean civilization out there past the around the pillars of Hercules, because of course Theodorus says they were they were right around they, they were on on the African coast. They probably were the Atlas Mountains area, like Diodorus says, and in Spain, and we found, well, what about uh, Tarsus? What about uh, Tartessos? Uh, this this mysterious city, Tartessos, sunk in the alluvial plain uh, on the western coast of Spain. And now they've found another one that's even older, that's laid out on the same pattern as Atlantis, that, that circular clockwork, that, that circular pattern that looks like a gun sight. And that's buried beneath 20 feet of silt right north of Tartessos. And Tartessos is, is at least 5,000, well, more than that, five or 6,000 years old. And this one right up from Tartessos is even older and even bigger. And, of course, it's under 20 feet of mud, so it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to get. But there's all sorts of relics in Spain uh, that, that go back to, to, to this Andalusian period. Now, like we said, the, um, the sea level back 12,000 years ago, the sea level was 150 to 200 feet lower along the coast of Europe, western coast, 
than it is today, which means that that the seacoast, as you're saying, was was uh, the, this coastal villages and coastal towns are under 150, 200 feet of water. Now, now something else too that we want to mention here, and this is not new age hoopla. This is this is anthropological truth. You don't need agriculture to have civilization. What you need is a steady food supply at a single point. That's all you need. And Atlantis had a had a really beautiful salmon run. <laughs> I think this is one of the reasons why we call salmon the fish of the wise, the food of the wise. And we know that the Cro-Magnons, 30,000 years ago, salmon was one of their staple staple diets. And they were right down there. And they, they are basically modern human beings. And they were the progenitors of of you know of, of the Atlantean civilization. And these people, if you if you if you saw them today, one of the things I'm really upset about was that really nice, otherwise really great film, 10,000 BC. I don't know how many of us have seen it, but this was the the, the Cro-Magnons 10,000 years ago, the mammoth hunters coming down from Ice Age Europe all the way down into Egypt. Uh, and and uh, running into the the decadent Atlanteans down in Egypt, the film is very good, except for one thing: the Cro-Magnons uh, up in Europe don't they? Oh, they they're wearing animal skins. They look like alley-oop cavemen, and they're wearing animal un, un, uh, tailored animal skins and and, and putting sheep fat in their hair and, and and bones in their noses and they, they look they look like like Stone Age our idea of Stone Age savages actually those mammoth hunters those those people those Cro-Magnon people wore tailored deerskin clothes they looked like Iroquois they looked like Iroquois Indians. Uh, about um, you know 1730 period, and the Iroquois Indians on the East Coast, as you as you probably know, were a pretty darn civilized bunch of people, and and uh, so that's what the Cro-Magnons uh, really looked like at that time. And that's why 10,000 BC that film. Otherwise, the Atlanteans, the way they picture them, this is great and and, and everything. Uh, but Atlantis has has come down to us not just in in uh, uh, Plato and Diodorus, but also uh, Bacon back in the Renaissance used Atlantis uh, as one of the uh, as as an allegory to create a, a utopia, uh, and and so we have it in our in our mythology, and, and it's it's uh, it's one of our sacred cities. I I uh, um, I don't want to sound. Like I'm trying to evangelize on this, but I, I I do think that we ought to that we ought to remove the stigma, the stigma that that frankly has been generated by by well frankly Marxist archaeologists who who don't want anything they can't stand cyclical cyclical history cyclical history is an anathema to them everything has to evolve from the simple to the complex and so Atlantis is a nasty word for them and they don't want to hear it uh, uh, what uh, I, you know I've been kind of on my soapbox here um, uh, what thoughts do you have to add to this uh, uh, Solomon, or uh, what do you think well I mean we can look at the dinosaurs and uh they were certainly much more spectacular than we are in a lot of ways, and uh, a freak comet's what wiped them out. So really, I, I think it's uh, fair to say the Atlanteans, um, same thing. They had an excellent coastal empire. They had a food supply. They didn't really have to work the agricultural system because they had plenty of fish, and they had all the crops that were right by the water. So there's not a need to work the land extra hard. They had everything they needed right on the seashore. And it was just a freak, uh, it was kind of a freak accident. All of a sudden, these uh, polar caps melt, and these uh, beautiful, wondrous cities in uh, probably hundreds just all of a sudden get wiped out and, uh, in a very short amount of time before anybody can do anything about it. And that's well, where we get our you know, Actually, Actually, uh, it wouldn't take a huge earthquake or a huge 
explosion, uh, volcanic explosion like Para, it wouldn't take that. All it would take, really, when you think about it, because they didn't know, they didn't realize that the sea uh, level was going to rise the way it was, and and so they would keep building dikes. And this is one of the reasons why maybe that circular pattern like that, maybe these these were great big dikes, like like Holland and like New Orleans, for heaven's sake. Katrina is a perfect example of what uh, what happened at New Orleans with Katrina was is a perfect example of what may have happened to Poseidonis in Atlantis. Is they keep building these dikes and because the sea level keeps rising and they finally these dikes get, get really, really huge and and uh the sea level keeps rising and then they have one big storm. That's all it takes. And down it goes. And and uh this happened to the this happened not well, Katrina is one example, but but an even even more spectacular example than Katrina was the, the Netherlands back in the Renaissance. They had a huge storm, and and two thirds of Holland was flooded. Two thirds of the country just went underwater. And and uh, in this case, in the case of Atlantis, it, it uh, the water kept rising. So once once it was submerged. Uh, then you know it, it, it kept on rising, and quite frankly, that uh, that uh, whole area south of, of England uh, is is rather shallow. It's rather shallow out there, and they do bring up artifacts every so often. And then those earthworks and uh, prehistoric earthworks in in southern England are just awesome. I mean, just absolutely awesome. Some of those 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 earthworks and, and chamber tombs and whatever. Uh, so the uh, Atlantean uh, maritime civilization, and it obviously was maritime, uh, I think was certainly there and and had an influence. And I think that the Phoenicians were the inheritors of it. I think they were the inheritors of it, and I think and I, I suspect that. The Atlanteans had something to do with the alphabet, and I have, you know, I really do. I suspect they have something, they had something to do with it, and I also suspect that the Phoenician alphabet was really one of the origins of the Kabbalah, and and because uh, you certainly can't do numerical, you can't very well do numerical uh, analog off of cuneiform or off of uh, or off of hieroglyphics. Doesn't work that well. You need an alphabet. And you need an alphabet that also relates to the zodiac, and, and in order to have Kabbalah, you, you need a you need an alphabet that relates both to the elements and to the planets and to the zodiac and the signs of the zodiac. You need this, and, and all you have to do is add two letters to the Phoenician alphabet, and you've got it. Now, um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the connection between. Uh... Phoenician Atlantis, it's it's really strong and it's really obvious. And we know that um, those pillars of Hercules, they were uh, it, it was it, it was a lot uh, easier to cross from Spain to Africa back then than it is now. And uh, also, um, I just realized it right now since we're talking about uh, Britain is a, a potential source of Atlantis. Uh, Stonehenge was actually the centerpiece of a concentric city. So this idea of you have a center of the city and then you start building circles around it is a pattern that's actually repeated uh, as far north as uh, England. And it's uh, Troy follows the same pattern. Uh, you mentioned uh, just north of Tartessos. That, that pattern, of, uh, this pattern of this magical circle, and uh, we've got it laid out, you can actually superimpose the Phoenician alphabet on it. It shows that that has a. It, it's a very ancient system with a very ancient root, and um, using the circle in, in certain patterns, uh, you can come up with a, a magical alphabet that sort of will uh, allow oh, you yeah. to navigate through the city. Just like we have well, street Carthage, names like Carthage. You know, Car Carthage, which Rome moved heaven and earth to destroy. Uh, Carthage, the, the harbor was laid out just like Atlantis, just like Poseidonis. This same pattern, and the same thing with Tartessos, and the same thing with that city, that that, that more ancient city north of of, of Tartessos. This this pattern, 
this pattern of, 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 of uh, it, it repeats itself over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so, never, yeah, uh, I never thought of today before Stonehenge. That's just, that, that's amazing. Yep, Stonehenge, Stonehenge repeats the pattern, too. <laughs> and the pattern is it, it is the zodiac, is the universe. It's it's why, as I say, it looks like if if, if you take uh, the tropic of of, uh, of Cancer and you take the North Pole, right, uh, and then you look down at at at, uh, at the you look down at the celestial sphere from uh, from above, directly above. And it's bordered by the equator, and then you got the the Tropic of Cancer, and then you have the inner Arctic Circle, and that, and then you bisect it four times with two lines across, which give you uh, the the four seasons of the year. And what have you got? You got a perfect map of Poseidonis. Yep. Oh, that now, really is perfect. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it it does, and and it uh, that that of course is our is our version of the Rose Cross, as you know, and and uh, and uh, the Enneasphere fits right into it, and uh, that comes from supposedly from Coleostro and from the Crater of Poa. Anyway, um, so uh, I want to go over this uh, announcement about next week again. Uh, and let's see now. Um, Thursday, February thirteenth, the Hermetic Hour. Uh, the Society of Magical Artists in Austin at Soma, and that's not a mushroom club. We don't think it is. Anyway, Society of Magical Artists, and we'll have uh, uh, Messrs. Paxton Knight and Paul Rana and Jeff. Uh, Contreras, and they will be calling in, and uh, they are going to be calling in next week, and we're going to talk about about uh, things esoteric and magical in Austin, Texas, and so be sure and listen in next week for that. And meanwhile, have a good weekend and good magic. <laughs>